You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. We'll go to the book of John, chapter 8. And my assignment is a rather <laughs> a big assignment, uh, eight and nine, a hundred verses, so let's see how fast we can do that. <laughs> I've condensed it down into four, and as we get to the end of number three, if you're becoming weary, uh, we'll do our best to condense these in a a fashion that um, will give you the necessary information and if you be so inclined that you would go back and take each encounter and read every precise detail that's on you I'll give you the overview your task will be to dissect and make application in whatever area that God speaks to you. But our beginning here in John chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Jesus went into the, onto the mount, unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Our job today is to communicate to you the declaration that God has provided Ample light in a dark world. It really is dark. You can't watch television. You can't read a newspaper. You can't communicate with coworkers. You can't interact with family and not conclude that it's a dark world we live in. And so where do we, as Bible believers, do we wring our hands? Do we um, call for more medication? Do we... Um, somehow sedate ourselves with the television or bubblegum for the mind? Um, or do we find our uh, light where we um, are looking today in God's Word? The light of the world. In fact, verse 12 kind of gives you the, con, uh, gives you the, the, um, uh, the theme of today's message. Uh, I am the light of the world. We'll revisit that in a moment in our second encounter. But the first encounter begins here as Jesus is teaching in the temple. And immediately, somewhere in this um, discussion, uh, the scribes and Pharisees walk in and brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. I don't know if you've thought about it, how rude this must have been for me to be teaching a lesson and someone come walking in with another woman and say to uh, me, uh, I want you to deal with this woman. We just caught her committing adultery. In fact, it says in verse 3, in the, uh, in the very act, um, why isn't there a woman and a man being brought in? Uh, why isn't the man also being? And it, it speaks to the nature of the people who are interrupting the lesson being taught. 
you understand that the word Pharisee was not always a derogatory term. We use that in a negative term today because it's, it, the connotation has grown to be, mean somebody uh, who uh, is hypocritical, who says one thing and um, who behaves another way. They're a Pharisee. But that wasn't the case in this day. In fact, the Pharisee was the elite of the day, religiously speaking. And so when the Pharisees walked in and brought with them this woman taken in adultery, they were doing so with an intent. It says there in verse number 5, um, Moses in the law commanded that, that, that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Um, it's Jesus. And you're pointing a bony finger in his nose and say, what do you say to this? And the intent is certainly clarified in the next verse. They were tempting him that they might have something to accuse him. And his response is classic. Um, don't answer a fool in his folly the Proverbs writer wrote. And so instead he stooped to the ground and he wrote something in it. Doesn't say what it was and it's foolish to even speculate. But it says in verse 7, they continued asking him, <laughs> um, B.R. Lakin, we always talk about Lakin, he seems to come to my mind often, but Lakin used to say, you know, I don't mind being eaten by sharks. He said, but I hate being nibbled to death by minnows. <laughs> you know? And they just kept coming back. And we're going to see that in the other three accounts. See that in verse 7? They continued asking him, well, well, what do you think? It's like, a, like your kids at home, moms. You know how it was? Can't I do it now? Can, can, can I do it now? Why, why can't I do it? And, and so he stands up. Look at this. He, lift, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He, and you're asking for it when you keep nibbling, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. That's the other side of the Proverbs. It says, Answer a fool in his folly, lest he be wise in his folly. Uh, seeing his response, a shocking response, uh, and then he stooped again, verse 8, and wrote on the ground. They heard him. Verse 9, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. Do you know what God has given us? Uniquely as human beings. I don't see the, the ferocious lion laying beside the little, I don't know, uh, baby giraffe that he's just captured and, and sunk his uh, talons into bleeding all over and from his um, from his teeth the blood is see I don't see the lion saying, boy, I sure feel bad killing this little thing. 
But I know that when I've done something that is wrong, I know how badly I feel. It's a great mechanism God put in me. It, it sends pain where it needs to be. Enough pain, conscience, that makes me look to the light. And in this case, not just look to the light, look what happens as they are uh, pained by their conscience. It says, one by one, being at the eldest, it says, one by one, they went out. They knew whatever he had written applied to them. What he had spoken had applied to them. And the conscience that was left there still pained them. And all that was left was he and the woman. And so he asks in verse 10, where are those thine accusers? He continued and said, hath no man condemned thee? And her response is, no man, Lord. You see, she's not making excuse for herself because she's acknowledging to him that he is Lord. It's the same response the Apostle Paul had on the road to Damascus when, uh, uh, when on the road to Damascus when he was knocked to the ground and uh, and he said, "Who art thou, Lord?" And he said, "I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest." And his response to her was, "If he's she's going to if she's going to acknowledge that I'm Lord." Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, what he didn't say was, go back to your sin. What he didn't say was, you're going to be sinless. He said, just don't sin like that anymore. Don't return to that sinful behavior. Uh, if, if you really think I'm Lord, make it evident by your behavior. Encounter number one. Look at the second encounter, verse number 12. What amazed me when I read this phrase, then spake Jesus again unto them, is why are they still there? He's just, I don't know if the right word is humiliated him, certainly humbled them. They've They've walked out of his presence with the tinge of uh, the pain of guilt on their heart. And yet they stay around in the vicinity. And, and, and yet they're within earshot of him. And so he, he initiates yet another confrontation. A shocking encounter. And he says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Look at their response in verse 13. Now, the first encounter revolved around the conscience that points us to the light. And when the light comes on, if there's that conscience that's not responsive, the light causes people to run. But the light causes those of us who are responsive to come close, 
intimacy. That's what this whole series is about. Look at this one. When he says to them, I am the light of the world, he's saying to them, I am the source of light in a dark world. It's the same words that he used at the end of this chapter when he said, before Abraham was, I am. I just was. I didn't begin at the beginning. I am. And their response was verse 13. Thou bearest record of thyself. And you can insert this if you'd like to parenthetically. Therefore, thy record is not true. What are they saying to him? You're a liar. You've just lied. You're bearing record of yourself. And, and note he said, Jesus answered, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. Why? Because I, for I know whence I came and whether I go, but ye cannot tell whence I came and whether I go. Skip down to verse 16. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. I and the Father that sent me, but, but I and the Father that sent me. It is written, it is also written in your law that the, that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear, beareth witness. How did he bear witness to the truth of what he had just said? I am the, the light of the world. 33 years, not a word he'd ever said, not a deed he'd ever done was ever imperfect. And those deeds and those words attested to the perfection that he, that he had. Number two, he said, I am that, the one that bear witness of myself. Number two, the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. And you can hear in your mind's eye, just a few years before this, when the, the voice of God thundered from heaven, uh, that day when John the Baptist had baptized him from the from the, from the clouds came the voice, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I bear witness that I'm the light of the world. My father bears witness that I'm the light of the world. And they said, they said, where is thy father? Jesus answered, ye neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father. It's shocking. I've never had those kind. I've had some confrontational encounters in my lifetime, but nothing like this. But it's only going to get worse. Notice, if you will, in verse 21, and again, Jesus said, uh, then said Jesus again unto them, they still haven't given up. They're still hanging around for more. Note what he said to them. Uh, I go my way and ye shall seek me, not in a good way. Ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come. Skip down to verse 23. Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins if ye, if ye believe not that 
I am he, you shall die in your sins. And, he said, and they said unto him, Who art thou? Um, verse 27, And they understood not that he spake unto them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, speaking of the cross, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Verse 30, it says, many believed. And he said to those, then said Jesus to those that believed, those Jews which believed, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And some did and some didn't. Here's the third shocking. If, if we could say shocking statement, uh, it'll get, uh, when he amplifies the statement in a few moments, you'll see how shocking it is. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered, we be Abraham's seed and never in bondage. We've always been free. How sayest thou, ye shall be free? Look in verse 36. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You, you understand something in this statement. There's a there's an implication. This is not talking about an academic understanding of information. Ye shall know the truth. You can know it. I can know about Jesus' death, and I can know about his burial, and I can know about his resurrection. And I can have all that academic information here and still not be free. There is something implied. There's something deduced by that declaration. When you know the truth, you have to say yes or no to it. And depending on your response, you'll be free or still in bondage, still in sin. You shall know the truth. You shall be free and they bristled, bristled at such a statement. Um, they said, verse 39, they answered, said unto him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would not, you would do the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me. A man that hath told you the truth. You see, light comes as a result of response to the conscience God's implanted in us. Light comes by recognizing the origin or the source of where light is. Light comes by recognizing that he is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said in John 14, 6. But note this. You seek to kill me, a man that's told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. He didn't do what you said. You were his children. You said he, he was not of your kind. You do the deeds of your father. And their response was, uh, we be not born of fornication. We know who our, our family lineage is. We have one father, even God. You know what makes these, these little encounters so shocking? 
is Jesus isn't intimidated. I, sometimes I get intimidated. Sometimes I get a little backwards when I'm painted into a corner. Notice what he says to them. He's not intimidated by their back and forth. Note what he said. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. You would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, neither came I of myself. Skip down to verse 44. Here it is. Here's the, here's the uh, clincher. Here's the hammer on the anvil. Ye are of your father, not Abraham. Ye are of your father, the devil. Old Roy Thompson used to say, he said he was preaching on this once and a lady came up and she said, I don't like that, that year of your father, that you said, if I'm not saved, I'm of my father, the devil. He said, I didn't like it either, so I just changed fathers. <laughs> it's easy. You need to be born again. You, you get the concept. He's not saying this in a, uh, um, in a way that they don't have an opportunity to respond. They can come to the light. He's not beating them up. He's saying, you got to be honest. you got to look at yourself, uh, whether it's by the tinge of that conscience and responding to the light, whatever is written in the ground, whether it's by responding to the, the one who's identifying himself as the I am the light of the world, or whether it's responding to the truth written or spoken. And the Jews answered, verse 48, the, di the ditch is getting deeper for them. It started at the beginning of the chapter and they just kept nibbling. It's getting deeper, he said. They said, oh, say, not, uh, say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and, and hast a devil. Uh, so if you can't make a, a good argument, start calling him names. You know. I have not a devil, Jesus said. I honor my father. You do dishonor me. I seek not mine own glory. Verse 51, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never die and never see death. What a, what a staggering statement. You're never going to die. He said the same thing in John chapter 11 uh, in the encounter with uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He said, uh, he that believeth on me shall never die. Look at we gray hairs in here. We're closer to death than we are to birth. And, and you give me a promise like John chapter 11, you're never going to die. I'm going to hang on to that with, for dear life. I don't want to die. It's not normal to want to die. And he gave the promise. Believe on me and you shall never die. Never see death. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, your day? What are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old, verse 57. And, uh, and, and they said, they said, uh, uh, um, and hast thou seen Abraham? 
Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Not only are they shocked, I said at the very beginning of these, these four encounters, it's only going to get worse as we go from encounter to encounter. And now not only are they shocked, not only are they calling him names, but note in verse number 59, they take up stones to stone him. Kill him. And he passed by. Verse 1 begins similarly in verse chapter 9. I think it's very likely that this is a continuation. The chapters and verses are all placed there many years after the Bible is completed. It's probably a continuation. It says, when he says in verse 59, and so passed by, verse 1 says, and Jesus passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from his birth. If you get the picture of these nibbling minnows, they just keep following, and he's going to throw into their lap one last encounter they're going to have to deal with. It's a blind man. A blind man who hasn't seen since birth, and the disciples didn't comprehend much better than the Pharisees did. They said, was he born blind because of something he did or something his parents did? And, and Jesus said, neither hath this man, verse 3, sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I am the light of the world. It's a dark world. People are blind. They need to see and the reason that this man was born many decades ago came into this world was not so you could look at him and say, boy, what has that guy done wrong? But so you could see that I'm the one that can take eyes, not just physical eyes. That's the objective, object of this whole encounter. But spiritual eyes and open them up. He said that in verse 5. I am the light of the world. How does he do this, this encounter? <laughs> the picture here, I don't know if you can get it in your head. Uh, verse 6. Uh, he, uh, uh, he spat on the ground. <laughs> he reached down and takes a little clay. And he rubs on the eyes of the blind man. He could have said, he could have just said to the blind man, see, and he would have seen. He could have just thought the thought, and he would have seen. But, but he does something that triggers the people who are nibbling at his heels. He reaches in the ground, and he works. In their mind, it's work. You see, they had such a perverted view of the Sabbath that just to reach into the ground and a little piece of spittle and make a little clay and put it on the eye, in their minds, they viewed that as breaking the Sabbath. He triggered these people that needed to know the lesson. This was not just for the blind man so he could be 
so he could see. It was for the people who were religiously blind and they could see. Uh, the old preacher, remember this probably, Jerry, you probably remember. The old preacher used to say, uh, he said, uh, you Baptists, you believe you're the only ones going to heaven. And he said, no, nah, I'm more narrow than that. He said, I don't believe half of them are going. <laughs> you know, I've met a lot of religious people. And they, they need to be triggered. Because they're, they're dependent on a baptism that happened in infancy or maybe in teenagers uh, you know, um, the old Baptist said, I'm Baptist bred, uh, uh, Baptist born, Baptist bred. When I die, I'll be Baptist dead. You know what? If, if that's all you got, you're going to be Baptist dead in hell. You know? You need to be born again. And somebody's hanging on to some religious event as the Pharisees were. And, and so the triggering is not because he wanted to trigger them just to get a reaction, but he wants to get to the heart of them. I'd like to get to the heart of the religious person who says, I've been confirmed or I've been baptized or I've joined the church. I said to my dear little cousin, his, her husband, he had a stroke and I was trying to witness to him. And I said, Something gave him my testimony and it said something about, do you know you're going to heaven? And he said, well, he said, I try to keep the rules. Obviously, if you're Amish, you got a lot of rules. Some more and some less, depending on which group. I try to keep the rules. And I said to him, I said, have you kept them all? And there's no response. And he said, well, he said, I joined the church. And I said, well, which church do I have to join so I know I'm going to heaven? There's no answer to that question, except you must be born again. Blind people who are religious need to have their eyes opened. That's the point of this thing. In fact, the, the story goes on, if you will, in verse 13. You can see they were triggered because they brought this blind man who now could see. They brought him to the Pharisees. And in verse 14, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the, and the Pharisees, they weren't... They weren't impressed that a blind man from birth could now see. They were just depressed that Jesus dared take a little clay out of the dirt and put it on his eyes. On the Sabbath day? Are you kidding me? And again, the Pharisees ask him who how he had received his sight, and he said unto them, well, he put clay on my eyes, and, and I washed, and I do see. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not a God, because he gave him out the Sabbath. What do you mean he's not a God? The man can see. Are you, are you that far gone? And their focus was on the clay, and the dirt, 
and the little bit of labor he exerted, he must have really worked up a sweat, you know? That's all they could see. They were blind, blind as bats. And verse 17, they say unto the blind man, no longer blind, what sayest thou of him that hath opened thine eyes? Uh, He said, well, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him uh, that he had been blind. Now they're starting to question whether he was blind at all and received his sight until they called the parents. And the parents acknowledged, yeah, he was really blind. When he was born, he was a blind kid. And here he is an adult now. And now they brought the parents into this situation. They they asked him, saying, is this your son? Yeah. Uh, Was he born blind? Yeah. Verse 20, his parents answered them and said, we, not, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but, boy, I don't know what goes through people's minds when they're this steeped in religion and this blind. This is your son who was born blind and he never saw. And look at what happens next. Instead of them grabbing their son and hugging, we have, you've never seen mom and dad before and we just... Look at what happens. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or, what, or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He's of age. You ask him. Does that stagger you? That a mom and dad can be that calloused? We don't know how it happened. But he's old enough. You ask him. And the reason being, verse 22, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Guess what? Anybody in their right mind who saw their son had been healed physically and said, I want to find out who did that. I'd like to believe on him too. But they weren't in their right mind. They were more afraid of the Jews. They were more afraid of being put out of the synagogue. The light of the world is Jesus, and yet they're stumbling all over him because they're blind. Look on down, if you will, please. Then again, they, these Pharisees, uh, called, called they the man that was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know this man's a sinner. <laughs> and he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I do know, whereas I was blind, now I see. And they said unto him, what did he, what did, uh, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And he answered them, I told you already. And you did not hear, wherefore would you hear again? If I tell it to you again, you're going to be his disciples? Do you get that? This, the whole narrative is such a, it's puzzling how people can be, how I can be this blind if I'm not responsive to the light of the world. Verse 30. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. You're the experts. You don't, you don't get it? 
since 32. Since the world began, was it not, was it not heard that a man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and thou teachest us. And, and they cast him out. This is, the, this is where the, the whole encounter becomes beautiful. They cast him out, and guess who's waiting in the wings? Verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out. He found him. You didn't find the Lord. If, if you're saved, you, you weren't hunting for the Lord. He was hunting for you. You may have sought him, but he wasn't hiding. He found you. It says here that he found him and he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he? Lord. Same thing as the woman taken in adultery. Uh, when you get to that moment where you acknowledge that nothing else matters, whether it's Peter on the, uh, Paul on the road to Damascus or the woman that had been accused and ready to be stoned, the, the first words that come out of your mouth are, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Lord, you own me. Who art thou? Lord, that I may believe on him. And who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him. It is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. That's not the end. Here is the objective of the entire story. The whole chapter 8 and the whole chapter 9 come down to this one conclusion. The Pharisees, uh, begin in verse 39. It's short now. We can read these three verses and get the context. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see. And they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with, with him heard these words and said unto them, are we blind? <laughs> and Jesus said, this is classic. If you were blind, you should have no sin. If you had been like this man, blind, and brought to sight, you'd be like this man who recognized that his true blindness was not here, but here. And you'd be seeing things that you don't see. But now ye say, we see. Therefore, parenthetically, you're still blind. And therefore, your sin remaineth. Nothing blinder than a lost person who doesn't see himself as a sinner. You, you understand that. I know you do. And that's what brought anybody in this room that came to the recognition of their need for Christ. That's what brought them to the recognition is they recognized how blind they were and how needy they were. And there at that moment, at an altar, in an automobile, in a living room, 
wherever you were and you came to that moment like this blind man, like the woman taken in adultery, like Paul who was blinded. The lights came on and you saw. In contrast, the little minnows are still nibbling away because they have no concept of who they're nibbling at. They're blind. So my question would be, you know, Newton wrote the famous song Amazing Grace, and in it has the little phrase, I once was blind, but now I see. Uh, Simplicity oftentimes is the most profound way of expressing things. That, you know, that song has outlasted him here on earth. And yet people sing it oftentimes and they sing it as though it were just a, you know, a casual song. They really don't, I don't know that they even see themselves as having been blind and see. And thus in their hearts they still are blind. Not, not physically blind, but blind. He said that in that last, it, it would have been better if you'd been like this man, born blind, now see. See physically and see spiritually. It had been born, but because you you say you see, you're still blind. Still in your sin. The light of the world truly is. You see that back in our text in, in verse 12 of chapter 8? I am the light of the world. That's not a casual statement. That's a critical statement. It's an essential statement. It's a, a, a declaration. I am the light of the world. I'm the only one that can take blind eyes and make them see. Blind hearts. And make him see. I'm the light of the world. Would you pray with me?